This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. Yeah, and they've got to be wondering where they're going to be in the near future because if I'm unsettled by everything that's going on in the world, I can't even imagine what the men and women who are in uniform right now have got to be thinking. You've got, uh, you know, Chairman Xi and Vladimir Putin getting cozy. Uh, you've got the President of the United States, when he's not stumbling up staircases, He's uh, basically taunting all of the great powers, powers that have great armies, uh, and, uh, and, and sending all of our money to a relatively, I don't want to say corrupt government. I don't know if it's corrupt, but I sure would like to see this bill that just got introduced into Congress. I'd like to see that get passed. I'd like to have an, a full accounting of where the money is going billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars. Like, I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm a little, uh, I don't know, it looks like Zelensky and his wife dress really well for people in the middle of a war. Uh, I also am convinced, I read some statements that were sent to me. I'm on every kind of mailing list because of what I do for a living, and I read some statements by the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, which really made me feel even more concerned. You know, we're in it forever, as long as it takes. I heard that seven times yesterday from various members of the administration, even the Treasury Secretary. We're in it for as long as it takes. Well, that's not very comforting. I think we should have an ex exit strategy, don't you? Is this as long as it takes? The Ukrainians are in it as long as it takes, but we ought to have an exit strategy. And if we don't, why don't we? Well, I know why we don't. Because they don't know what they're doing. They really don't know what they're doing. Russia has deployed nuclear-armed ships. I mean, am I the only person who's concerned about this? It, it really just seems as though this should be like the number one news story on every station, and it's not. For the first time in close to 30 years, Russia has deployed ships armed with tactical nuclear weapons. The claim comes from an annual report from the Norwegian Intelligence Service and was reported by The Independent. The ship from Nor Russia's northern fleet were allegedly deployed to the Baltic Sea. And this, of course as Russia informs us that they are, we're out, they're out of a nuclear arms agreement with the United States as soon as Joe Biden visited Ukraine. Meanwhile, the Chinese regime is, you know, it's, it's definitely a red line 
that they will have crossed if they supply weapons to Russia. I think Secretary of State Antony Blinken, he like he he warned them. Uh, uh, Janet Yellen, she warned them. These people are so big on words and so so weak on action. You know, don't worry, the water's fine in in East Palestine. Oh yeah, don't worry. Well then, where are you? You shouldn't be nervous about coming here if everything is fine, but everything is not fine. And we get that. Uh, I'm just concerned. And I find that a lot of people are just as con concerned as I am, but they're, they're just, they're, what's the word, exhausted. They just can't do this anymore, which is why you know, I'm going to say it one more time, and I know that some people get very, very upset at me when I say it, but uh, the stars are all lining up for Donald Trump because these are the moments when people look for a strong man. They look for somebody who is relentless, who is determined, and basically someone who cares about them, the forgotten men and women of the United States of America. You saw that in East Palestine? I put up some uh, footage of that. I watched a little more of it last night. Uh, I have to admit, not that I wanna be from East Palestine right about now, but I sure want one of those uh, Make America Great 47 hats. I've got just about every other hat. I can't wait to add that to my collection because I believe that. I believe that he will be 47. And I'm really, um, I'm, I'm almost desperately counting on it because I just don't see how we can uh, endure four years of, first and more, foremost, four years of Democrat rule you know, that's frightening. These people don't care about us. These people, they're so, and, and half of, well, maybe more than half of the Republican Party, what is this obsession once we blew it in Ukraine? Because I was all gung-ho, we should defend the Ukraine, we should be there for the Ukraine, we should send weapons to the Ukraine, we should, you know, really get in the face of the European allies, the European Union, and tell them that they have to do that but it's a year later, and that didn't happen. We're way too late to this. You know, the devastation in Ukraine, I just saw, a, a, not a documentary, but some footage from a reporter. If they were to win, which is, seems very unlikely to me, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm always hopeful, but if, if the Ukrainians were able to push Russia out of there, It'll take about another $500 billion to rebuild that country. And since Europe doesn't seem to want any part of this battle at all, does that mean we're going to have to come up with it? You tell that to the taxpayer and see what the results of the 2024 election are. I can tell you right now, the candidate who gets up and says not another dime until we get a full accounting, and even then, until Europe meets us more than halfway, not another dime. So 
uh, you know, I'm just feeling very, very, very positive. If you're a Trump supporter and you've been going through some really tough times, as have I, uh, you should start feeling better right about now because this is exactly the way things were when he last, you know, made it into the White House and for very much the same reasons because crummy leadership infuriates people who have struggled and fought to make this country great, make their families great. And I think of the men and women who gave their all, that died on battlefields all over the world to be looking down from heaven and seeing this leadership vacuum, void, that we're experiencing in the greatest nation and believe me, if you don't think it's the greatest nation, get out of it. It's okay. We will not miss you. If you think for one moment that this is a good administration with the likes of Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Pete Buttigieg, Lloyd Austin, I, I mean, the list is endless of people I wouldn't let run my corner dollar store. Never mind the greatest nation on earth. These people are horrific. This Sam Britton, now we find out he was stealing suitcases uh, for a long time, stole the suitcase of some fashion designer from Africa. And she's looking at news clips the other day and she goes, wait a minute, those are my designs. And I had my suitcase stolen in Washington, D.C. like two years ago. And this this dudette or whatever he calls himself, this non-binary uh, former uh, cabinet official is prancing around in these African garbs. Isn't that cultural appropriation, number one? Imagine if, uh, you know, if a Republican put on some African, a white Republican put on some African garb and paraded around. It'd be the end of the world. The DEI uh, police would be out there. Speaking of the DEI police, and I do have to speak of them. And, you know, I have Derek on today. I have Todd Benzman on today. And I have this intense piece I want to do on uh, Malcolm X. And I was thinking I was going to try and fit it into the first half hour of the show, but I'm not going to do that. I am going to devote the entire show on Monday to it because it's just too, it's just, I've worked too hard putting all this information together to try and rush through it. So forgive me, this is the anniversary of Malcolm X's assassination. And I want to do it justice because I, you know, it's not just Malcolm X. It's, it's the Kennedy assassination. There's a lot that I don't trust my government anymore. And I'm looking over my shoulder and I probably shouldn't have trusted them for a long time. And I'm going to make some very compelling cases for that. I'm probably getting a lot of trouble at the same time, which is okay, you know. She's okay because by 2024, I'll have a president who will say, no, no, she's not in any kind of trouble. I'm going to follow up on some of these things she talked about. <laughs> Just saying, you know. You got to believe, and I do. I really do. So um, I'm looking at these. The, I don't even know how to describe this. There's like a, a force being marshaled right now that is literally all about diversity and and has nothing to do with making this country better. It has everything to do 
with basically separating us one from each other. And if you can do that, we'll have no power, no strength, nothing. We'll just be, you know, fighting each other instead of fighting against the outrageous actions of our government. So trust me, I'm on, uh, I'm on a real, uh, I'm going to expose this Biden administration for what it's trying to do. It's trying to destroy this country. It's not just bad at what it does. It literally has an agenda to destroy what's left of my great, once great country. And all I can tell you is over my dead body. And it may be over my dead body. I accept that. Anyway, don't forget to download the 850 app. That way you can participate in all of our contests or go to the website, 850wftl.com. We've got tickets to give away. We've got gift cards to give away, but you couldn't possibly win them if you didn't go to the website or you didn't download the app. So there, I told you, now it's up to you. I'm gonna take a break. I'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Unbelievable. It's just unbelievable. That's all I can say. Um, the Harvey Weinstein was sentenced to 16 years in an L.A. court. He was only convicted on one of the rapes, the rape of the, uh, of the young Jane Doe One, who has come out. As soon as the uh, sentence was handed down, she decided to reveal her identity. <coughs> and so... Uh, She's apparently Russian-born, and <coughs> I'm so sorry. <coughs> this is worse than it's been in a, in a minute, so just bear with me. Um, I'll make it. <coughs> anyway, I'm trying to use this these buttons, but none of them work the way I want them to. Anyway, mixed outcome in the trial of the four women that were in this case, he was charged and raping and assaulting all four of them in LA. Only this one woman's case uh, resulted in a conviction. Now she's come out, her name is Eugenia, which is by the way, my daughter's name, her formal name is Eugenia. That's why she's Genya. Um, Chernyshova. And she was, let's see, she is a mother of a 16-year-old and a 23-year-old. 
and she got raped in a hotel room in 2013 by Harvey Weinstein. When she reported the crime in 2017, she did it anonymously, known only as Jane Doe One. But she says she's tired of hiding. I want my life back. I'm Eugenia. I've been raped. And this is my story. And then she gave an interview in the office of her attorney to The Hollywood Reporter. And uh, she runs a pretty successful floral design business in Beverly Hills called Bottega Bouquet, which, by the way, I'm familiar with. I've never been in there, but um, my daughter-in-law has been. She told only a small circle of people, including her priest and her children's nanny, about the rape that dramatically reshaped her life 10 years ago. Part of me, I'm fearing for my future, she says, uh, speaking publicly now. But I'm proud of myself. If I continue to hide, I cannot do anything. I will just be there with my pain. She's absolutely beautiful. Was born in Siberia. Was been a model since she was 15. A lot of people think it's just ice there and white bears, she says, of her home. But it's beautiful in the summertime. She got a modeling contract and quickly began walking runways around the world. Uh, felt like she was a very lucky girl from Siberia. And during Oscars week in 2013, she said she saw Weinstein, whom she had met briefly once at an entertainment industry gathering in Rome at the Italian Film Festival, which was honoring Al Pacino uh, in L.A. And Weinstein introduced himself, apparently unaware that he had met her before, and she thought nothing else about the encounter. And that night, she went back to her room at the uh, Mr. C. Beverly Hills Hotel alone, she had changed from her red carpet dress into a robe when she got a call from the front desk that she had a guest downstairs. I heard somebody talking loudly in the background, and then he took the phone and said, it's Harvey, and we have to talk. And I was like, what? So confused. I said, we can talk tomorrow. A few minutes later, as she was removing her makeup, she heard a loud knock on her hotel room door. He's like, hey, it's Harvey Weinstein. Open the door. We have to talk. I'm not going to <clears throat> F you. I just want to talk to you. Chernyshova, who was married at the time and on a business trip, says she felt self-conscious about a strange man loudly talking at her hotel room, and she didn't feel she was in danger. She just felt embarrassed, and she wanted him to stop, so she opened the door. And that is the thing I have regretted for the last 10 years, that I did open this door. He says he just walked through me, went directly to the chair, he was like, we're just talking. There's nothing happening. Why are you so nervous? <coughs> Chernova says, and started to get annoyed with her. Something clicked, like a change in his eyes, she says. I realized that something was wrong. It's a terrible story. It's a horrifying story, and I couldn't be happier than that Harvey Weinstein is getting convicted in a lot of these cases. What kind of animal was he? I mean, this was, you know, this was a, a person who wasn't looking for him to help her or anything. It's one thing when these young actresses who were aspiring for fame and fortune uh, may have basically, you know, tolerated his advances and even they didn't deserve to be raped. But this is a woman that didn't even, she did nothing, didn't give him any indication, wasn't looking for a job. She was married. And um, she showed him her wedding ring, talked about her children, 
and then said, you got to go now. I'm not available. He opened his pants and I became hysterical, she says. I'm still showing him my kids' pictures to try and convince him I have kids. Please do not do that. But he did what he did. He assaulted me in the bedroom. Then he dragged me to the bathroom and he raped me there. After he was finished, he told Chernoshova that he was going to send her tickets to an event and he left. She said, I took a shower, cleaned the room and called the nanny back in Italy. I felt very, very dirty and like I have to die. After the rape, she battled depression, sometimes drinking heavily. She separated from her husband who has since died. I was hating myself, she said. I was thinking all the time, there were a lot of beautiful women and stars there and he chose you. So it's you who did something. This is what happens to rape victims. In September of 2017, a conversation with her then 16-year-old daughter Maria would begin a shift in her perspective. Everything pretty much started when I came forward to my mom about the sexual assaults that I went through as a sophomore in high school, said Maria, who is now 21. Chernyshova wanted Maria to tell the police about the boy who had assaulted her and was continuing to bully her, and Maria protested. I told her that she would never be able to understand me, and she told me that she does understand because she had been raped. When mother and daughter realized that they shared this painful bond, Maria says it was devastating. But they agreed that they were going to come forward. It's a beautiful thing that, you know, that they were able to do that to overcome the fear. A lot of women don't. But I just, I loathe the likes of Harvey Weinstein, these animals, that's what they are, they're animals, who abuse women. And then basically many of them get away with it. So I'm always grateful when justice gets served. Anyway, I'm going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to be talking with Todd Benzman. Of course, he's from the Center for Immigration Studies, and he's got some very interesting reports about the border. Yeah. We still have a problem at the border, so stay right where you are. All right, and welcome back. As promised, uh, I have my special guest on right now, Todd Benzman, who is a senior fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies and has written extensively about the border. And he's got a new book out called Overrun, How Joe Biden Unleashed the Greatest Border Crisis in U.S. History. And I, I think it just just came out, didn't it, Todd? It did. It was released on Tuesday. Oh, okay. Well, good. Then I'm one of the, I'm going to be one of the first people to actually read it, and I'm excited about that. <laughs> awesome. But I have been, you know, fortunate enough to read some of the excerpts from the book that have been published. I think it was in the Washington Times, if memory serves me correctly. But I, yes. I really need you to tell some people about, you know, some of the things that I read are absolutely frightening, like the idea that on upon the election of Donald Trump, like everything changed overnight. Can you go into a little depth about that? Sure. Um, well, you know, this mass migration crisis has been terribly underreported. So the book is filled with the actual history of it and how it started. And uh, one of the big missed stories of the mass migration crisis is the fact that the Mexican government, and I mean the Congress and the Mexican president's party, right, Mourinho, decided they did not want to keep all of the thousands and thousands of families that Donald Trump had pushed back under Title 42, the pandemic uh, pushback measure. And they were 
high maintenance, thousands upon thousands with, you know, special needs and expensive in all 58, filling all 58 of Mexico's detention centers. And so they watched the election very carefully and wrote a law in case Biden won. And when Biden won, they passed that law within 72 hours. And that law had the effect of releasing all of those family units, anybody with kids, all unaccompanied minors, releasing Mexico from responsibility for taking care of them. Uh, They set a timer on it for the end of the transition period so that Trump would have no chance of doing anything about it. It'd be too late. And that's what they did. And tens upon tens of thousands of immigrants poured toward the American border uh, and waited there for Inauguration Day. And when Inauguration Day came, the Biden administration let them all in. And that is when it began. That's why you can trace this mass migration crisis directly to the transition, directly to Inauguration Day, and directly to Joe Biden and his administration. Yeah, and, and just think about all the other things that happened. I think there's a part in the book in, uh, in Chapter 4 where you talk about how uh, the whole Antifa movement really um, played into this border crisis because those riots um, spawned uh, just lawlessness, which made the border crisis not even look as bad. People were concentrating on what was happening in these cities. Well, you have to remember that the riots uh, all through 2020 and uh, really for a few years before that, far-left America, progressive liberals uh, who are angry about Donald Trump's immigration policy, took up an equal and opposite position again, uh, in favor of illegal immigration. And their placards, their chants on the streets, their positions – uh, what they wanted became the the platform for every single Democratic candidate for president. Mm. Suddenly, these crazy extremists over on the far, far left, uh, their ideology became mainstream almost overnight. Biden's campaign, Harris's campaign, uh, all of the campaigns had their chance in them, had their placards in them, had their positions in them, this far extremist uh, ideology about open borders. And so when Biden and Harris won, they they handed the portfolio right over to people like that, that they brought with them into the White House and the State Department and everywhere else. And uh, I call them the new theologians. But those are the people, and that's the ideology that is in play here. They took over the portfolio, and they still have it to this day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find it stunning, too, when you think about all of these uh, other groups, and particularly people who consider themselves marginalized, although I think you can really make the case that in, in America of the, uh, you know, of the 21st century and certainly uh, now, there's far less of marginalized people 
with the exception of the incoming uh, minorities that are coming across the border. But when you look at groups like uh, the NAACP or people like Coretta Scott King uh, joining with these pro-illegal immigration forces, whether it's uh, the former La Raza or whether um, you know it's any of these groups, Bernie Sanders, these people, that, I, I just find it mind-boggling that they decided that this was a battle they wanted to wage. I mean, nobody seems to remember Barbara Jordan, who was a civil rights icon, who said, no, 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 this is not good for America. Well, the mainstream Democratic Party figures like Joe Biden, uh, who were running, realized that they absolutely needed that tiny fringe element for their coalition in order to emerge victorious from that huge primary uh, field. Uh, I think there were 15 candidates at, at any one time, and they were all trying to get that that fringe sliver of the coalition because it was supercharged up from Donald Trump, and uh, they were going to vote, and they were going to vote hard and in, in fairly large numbers. And think of the Bernie Sanders left. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... You know, they became powerful. They became politically powerful. Uh, they, you know, demanded power once Biden won. And the power they gave them, uh, they gave them lots of different portfolios, but but they handed over the immigration one first. It was all set to go to reverse everything that Trump had ever done on the very first day. And that's why the migration crisis happened on that on the first day. You can trace it right there. Mm-hmm. All the immigrants sure knew it. Uh, they had been listening and watching very carefully for any sign that the new administration was going to let them all in. They were all waiting, and bam, they opened the floodgates on the first day, and they have never stopped coming, only in escalating uh, floods. Mm-hmm. You know what I think is even more fascinating, and you've been down there to the border, and you've talked a lot. With, yeah, and you've talked with a lot of the uh, people who are coming across the border, and there's still this sort of illusion in the minds of people because you know I've been talking about this for thirty years, over thirty years, and people always in the past would say, well, you know, stop being so anti-Hispanic or stop being so anti-Mexican, and I would say to them, but you don't understand. Open borders attract people from all over the world. This is still uh, the nation uh, left on this planet where you have a chance. And so, if you make it, you know, if you make it clear to people that your border is open and you will not be stopped if you come across it, do you really think they won't find their way from the African continent, from the Middle East, and from South America in record drove numbers? And people would say to me, "Oh, that's uh, you know, that's a conspiracy theory." Turns out it's not. Well, exactly right. I mean, it's not a complex calculation. Uh, what makes uh, people, you know, sell everything they have and borrow thousands of dollars for smuggling fees? Uh, if they know that they're going to get in and stay in and be able to earn multiple times what they borrowed and and pay pay back their debt and make a bunch of money to send home, they're going to come. Mm-hmm. If they are going to get stopped in Mexico or deported, they're not going to come. They're not going to spend that money. Yeah. And so it's really that simple. I write extensively about the, the Trump effect. When he was in office, P- 
people stopped coming because it wasn't worth their investment. Mm-hmm. And then I write about the Biden effect, which was the exact polar opposite. Uh, they realized from what they were saying and doing that they were going, their money was going to pay off. Right. It's really not much more complicated than that. It's not a bunch of, about a bunch of root causes and, you know, mm-hmm. hurricane somewhere or, you know, a failed crop or floods or whatever, whatever you want to claim or, or uh, warfare in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. We had 100,000 Ukrainians cross the southern border, despite the fact that all 27 European Union countries offered them incredibly generous three-year packages, all expenses paid, to live in their countries. Mm-hmm. And here they are crossing you know, 15 countries to get here as though they were being bombed. Uh, it's absurd. Mm-hmm. The fact that, that uh, any of these people would cross 10 different safe countries ostensibly to get away from imminent harm is absurd. You go to one country if that's what the problem is. If you cross two countries, I start to suspect that your motives aren't pure. And if you cross 10 countries, you're just a liar. Exactly. Yeah. And and I'll tell you, and you know, you're not, you're not political. I am. Um, so I can say some of the things that you don't say. You just build the case for believing whatever it is that you're going to believe. And, you know, I can tell you right now that when I talk to people all the time, um, this is the exact mood of the country prior to the 2016 election when people were fed up and frustrated by what was a far less open border a lot less fentanyl pouring across and killing their kids in every state of the union. Uh, I hear that again. The forgotten man is speaking up again. And I can tell you that immigration, I believe immigration propelled Donald Trump into the White House in 2016. I believe that immigration is going to propel him back there in 2024. You don't have to weigh in on that, but trust me, I know what this sounds like and what it looks like and what it feels like. And we're right there, same place. Well, uh, it's, it's only going to get worse uh, for, right. for, for the next two years. Uh, we're looking at about in – the, in the first two years of this thing, if you include gotaways, uh, we're looking at about five and a half million people have actually entered the country in mm-hmm. two years. So uh, if you if you figure the same rate, you know it's going to be it's going to be twice as bad, right? They have 10 million yeah. people crowding, and that is a number that everybody is going to feel in all different kinds of ways. Uh, by the time the election uh, rolls around, people might actually vote uh, mm-hmm. based on this thing. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Uh, the new book is Overrun how Joe Biden really, you, you have to lay this right at the feet of this administration. Absolutely. Uh, and, and Todd is a compelling writer. He does, it's all back, you know, fact-checked, uh, cited data, you know, how Center for Immigration Studies does it, and certainly how Todd Benzman has always done it. So I appreciate your time today, and uh, I look forward to talking to you when I finish reading the book, Okay. Absolutely. I'll be on any time to talk about this. All right. Thanks a lot. Todd Benzman at the Center for Immigration Studies. And I'm going to take a break because we've got Derek coming on, hopefully Derek coming on in this final segment this week 
to see, uh, well, there's some interesting stories coming that coming your way if you just stick around. Stay right here. All right, and welcome uh, to this segment of the show. I'm going to start it off by kind of doing something that'll probably make Derek angry at his mother, but that's okay because yeah. I, need to, I need to surprise you with this question, okay? Recently on Instagram, I received a message from someone saying they were Keanu Reeves. And so now that kind of stuff, you know, is very seldom true, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So but who, I decided, who, who I, contacted you saying they were Keanu? Go on. <laughs> yeah, so I was trying to figure out who contacted me. And so I started, like, sort of playing with the person, thinking, like, well, I'll just expose them, right? But at one point during this, uh, at first they didn't even respond when I responded to their request to friend me or whatever. But then a few days later they did. And they uh, said something about, well, I, was, I heard you when I was in Florida. And I said, okay, that's interesting. This person's really working hard at this. And then I said, how would I, why would I believe that you're Keanu Reeves? And he said, ask Derek. <laughs> so, really? Yeah. So you're asking me. Are you, asking you. you know, do I think this is the real Keanu? I'd like to believe it is. He's, he's eccentric enough to strike up a friendship with my mother yeah. <laughs> from what I know of him. And that's what he said. He said that, that that's why he did it. And because I guess he lives in L.A. and you probably he's a good friend to TMZ from what I understand, right? Oh, he's always been very good to us. And he's, he's sort of now like a living legend. He's got that yeah. sort of John Wick series. Everyone loves him. You never hear any sort of bad stories about Keanu Reeves. He's just beloved universally and so kooky and strange and the yep. memes of him sitting on park benches and so forth. If you strike up a friendship with the real Keanu Reeves, I'll move back to Florida. <laughs> All right. Oh, so motivated And we'll now. bring we'll bring Keanu with us. <laughs> well, I said to him, I'm going to be in L.A. with Derek in 10 days. And he said, I may still be here. So we'll see. <laughs> great. Where did I get his reservation? This is great. <laughs> anyway, I had to run that by you without asking you, without letting you know, because I didn't want you to have to second guess. But it, it is interesting. Got it. Got it. This is the surprise Keanu story of the day, because I, I, I heard you wanted to talk about Keanu Reeves. And I looked around and I said, well, we haven't really covered much Keanu news lately. Right. This is going to be a real curveball. And there it is. He's there your best is. friend now. <laughs> He's my friend. Anyway, I also uh, have some friends. You and I share a friend named Lisa, who is a Disneyland or Disney World, actually, fanatic. But apparently, she's way behind the curve because you guys found someone who's been to Disneyland, what, five million times? She, she's got nothing on Jeff Reeves who is a 50-year-old man who has just entered the Guinness Book of World Records by visiting the Anaheim Disneyland uh, nearly 3,000 times. He is the Cal Ripken of Disneyland. <laughs> so starting back in 2012, he uh, started going to Disneyland every day, and it's now added up to 2,995 times consecutively. Um, you know, that's eight years, three months, 13 days of Disney visits. Now, I've been twice in that time <laughs> period, and it's more than enough for me. But he absolutely <laughs> loves it. And when the world shut down during COVID, it actually, you know, stood in the way of his consecutive streak. So some people might say there's an asterisk next to it because he wasn't allowed in the park at those times. But it's just incredible. He's, he's one of those guys who he shows up and the employees all know him. 
Chewbacca wants to get his autograph. It's sort of <laughs> an incredible sort of institution now around the park, and he's got an Instagram page devoted to just him going around the park and, and showing what he does. That's just too much. Yeah, I saw the picture of uh, Chewbacca and him. You, you can't make this stuff up. You really can't. But uh, it's an expensive habit to go there every you day. Know, that's what I thought. But if you get an annual pass, he's actually taking money from the park because the annual passes go for, let's say, a couple grand. Uh, it's an indulgence, but it's not sort of you don't have to be a very rich person to spend a couple grand just for an entire year of access. But they expect people to go, you know, two or three times. He's going every day. <laughs> he's wow. taking money from the company. He's really yeah. using it. Yeah. On a sad note, although I guess it's a confused note, um, you know, during COVID, of course, the number one television experience that anybody had was Tiger King. And then, of course, the next thing we know, Joe Exotic is in jail. And now apparently it looks as though he's really, really very sick and not going to ever get out of jail. Yeah, you know, he's sitting in prison and he's been fighting this conviction for many years um, at this point because, you know, he was convicted of murder for hire with with uh, Carol Baskin being the target. That's what a lot of the series was about. But it's a real prison sentence. And, you know, this was a covid phenomenon, but it's his real life. And now he's suffering from prostate cancer, which has spread uh, to his bladder. And, you know, he's recently said he's had a lot of blood in his urine. Um and he's going to basically stop treatment, I guess, get himself sort of in prison hospice care. He said, I want to just stay here and let it take its course, which means he doesn't want these treatments anymore because of the side effects. Mm. Um, it's unclear, you know, how much longer he would have to live, but he's still fighting this case. You know, it, it has become his cause to say the justice system is corrupt, I'm innocent, I'm here, this was cooked up. And there was a whole sequel to the Tiger King, basically just about uh, his his theory that this is all sort of cooked up by the other characters in that show. But it's his real life. And he's saying, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I want to leave things to my fiance, Seth Posey. And uh, it is sad. Regardless of what you think of him, he's a very colorful figure. And it's not nice to hear anyone is suffering in this way. No, especially in prison, because it's uh, there's very little comfort there. Uh, so let's yeah. end with a, a pretty good story, even though, gosh, Gene Simmons is uglier than he ever was before. But it is kind of cool to see him doing a dance with his daughter at her wedding. How do you guys get that footage? That's what I want to know. It's amazing. I can't tell you how we got it. But Gene, mm-hmm. Gene Simmons, who is usually donning uh, the ridiculous white makeup and the full sort of tongue hanging out and blood coming out of his mouth and fire coming out of his platform boots is in a suit because he's at mm-hmm. his daughter's wedding, Sophie Simmons, and they're doing a daddy-daughter dance. And if you're a Kiss fan, and I'm a huge Kiss fan, mm-hmm. um, you don't sort of see him in these tender moments all that often. That's not his persona. And even when we get him at the airport or we talk to him in the field, he's always in character. He's always Gene Simmons, but he's, he's dancing with her to Can't Help Falling in Love. And he's obviously touched by it. And there's mm-hmm. a soft side to these rockers as they get on in age. And uh, you take off the wig and uh, take off the makeup and just have a nice moment with your daughter. I thought it was very sweet. She's, she's a singer as well. Um, so, you know, she's following in dad's footsteps, although I don't think she's quite as uh, over the top. Yeah. And, and a final music story, and I'm sure you guys probably covered it earlier in the week. Is it true? Are the Rolling Stones and the Beatles finally going to come together? 
I don't know. I mean, it, it, it could be. There's uh, there's certainly that story out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, what are you referring to exactly if they're going to get together? They're going to do a concert tour with um, uh, Paul McCartney and George Harrison touring with the Rolling Stones. Oh, you're talking about just the remaining Beatles. I thought you were talking about some holograms going back to time. <laughs> no, the remaining yes. Beatles. Yes, the, the living <laughs> members, although I don't consider it the Beatles. It, you know, we've lost two out of four Beatles, and I'd argue right. that they're pretty important ones, although I'm, you know, as long as you have Ringo, you're still the Beatles, I guess, to me, but yes, <laughs> they might get together, like, they've always had this sort of love-hate relationship, I don't think they're mm-hmm. the biggest fans of one another, but they are the two living, iconic fans mm-hmm. of all time, so it would be cool to see them perform together. Absolutely, you know I'm going to be at that concert. Well, if, if, if you're going to, not before you, you go to Super Diamond, right? No, that's true. You do remember your first concert experience with the Rolling Stones, don't you? I do. But my the first guy behind you threw up all over you? Oh, I, I, I still feel the warmth <laughs> on my back. <laughs> but my first real experience is is when you took me to Billy Joel and Elton John. I got to see them playing piano across from one another. And I'd say they've been more influential on my music sensibilities than the Rolling Stones. It didn't turn out quite as cool as you wanted. Uh, no, you're definitely not as cool as as, as I was, but that's okay. <laughs> I love you anyway. I love you anyway, and I'll see you soon. But uh, thanks for coming on. Always appreciate it, Derek. All right. Talk to you guys soon. Have a good weekend. Bye-bye. All right, and don't forget, Dan Bongino's coming up at 1 o'clock, Ben Shapiro at 4 o'clock, and the WPTV News at 6 o'clock, and then it's the weekend. Hallelujah. And I uh, hope you have a good time. I'm, I know I'm going to. Um I thank you for your time this time until next time. My plan is to be back here on Monday at noon, if it be his will and he delays his coming. Remember what lies behind us and what lies ahead of us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. May God bless you. May God bless the United States of America. And I will see you all on Monday. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.